0: What a joy to see the gospel going forth in power throughout the world, and what a joy that we get to be a part of it through our partnership in Sovereign Grace Churches. I'd like to invite you to please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Today we begin an extended sermon series on the book of Luke. Next Sunday in the family service that we have. will be out of the series. Uh, there'll be a sermon on David and Goliath next Sunday. Bring your kids. Uh, we've got this, all right? I'd like to invite you to please stand. We have a tradition as a church family that at the outset of a sermon series, we sing a song, Speak, O Lord, that is our prayer for this sermon and for this entire series. You may be seated, and the pastors who are doing the Scripture readings can make their way forward. Our goal today is to give an overview of the book of Luke. So rather than focus on one text today, we will be focusing on this book as a whole, and so we have pastors who are reading various passages in the Gospel of
1: Luke. Reading from Luke 1, 30 to 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name.
2: Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. It's good to hear you all turn in your Bible pages. I like that. Mm-hmm. And he, this Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah... of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, "Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." In Luke chapter 6, verses 20-23, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven.
3: Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, 38 now, as they, went up, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, 32 through 34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also.
4: Luke chapter 15. Verses 20 to 24, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Chapter 19. Oh, chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Chapter 23. Verses 32 to 38. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others.
5: chapter 24, verse 1, "'But on the first day of the week at early dawn,' they," that is the women from the previous chapter, verse 55, "'they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb.' But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day, rise. Then over to verse 44. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God.
0: Sometimes an artist paints the same subject matter from different perspectives. And this is especially true when... The artist has been captivated by the subject and wants to acquaint his viewers with that subject. One perspective, one painting, one style alone will not provide a full and glorious presentation as does numerous perspectives. Uh, The French Impressionist painter Claude Monet, for example, explored the same subjects repeatedly. So he painted the same cathedral, he painted the same river. In fact, the the past, the last several decades of his life, uh, he devoted all of his artistic attention to the lily pond that was in his garden. He was so captivated by this subject. In the Gospels... Of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God has given us four distinct, complementary portraits of the Savior. Matthew, the tax collector and disciple of Jesus, wrote a gospel account that emphasizes Old Testament fulfillment. He repeatedly, they call it the fulfillment formula, he repeatedly says, This was to fulfill. Uh, is what Matthew emphasizes, and he organizes the material in his gospel around these five major sections of teaching uh, that that Jesus performs. Mark, the young traveling companion of the apostles, wrote the earliest, shortest. ...and most fast-paced account. He loves this word immediately. If you read through Mark, look for that word just immediately. It is fast-paced. It moves so quickly he doesn't even have time for a birth narrative. And so uh, Mark, as you may know, gets zero attention at Christmas... um, ...the way that Matthew and Luke do. Luke, the physician and historian, engaged in years of meticulous research... ...and interviews with eyewitnesses of Christ. And he wrote what is the longest gospel. And John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, who was among those who were closest to the Lord during his earthly life and ministry, John writes an account with heightened theological uh, language, with, with poetic imagery. He has the seven I am statements and the signs of Jesus. Each one of the gospels has been described as Extended crucifixion narratives because they all culminate and focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus. They have much in common, but they are also distinct. In Matthew, the promised king brings his kingdom. In Mark, the son of God suffers as our ransom and leader. Suffering and discipleship are major themes in Mark, especially discipleship failure appears again and again In Luke, the Savior graciously seeks and rescues the lost. That word save appears throughout Luke and is one of his favorite words. And in John, the glorious lamb gives us eternal life. I love what J.C. Ryle said on the value of studying the four gospels. This is a more lengthy quote, but I promise it is worth your time. Otherwise, I would not share it with you. This is what Ryle says, it would be well if Christians studied the four Gospels more than they do. No doubt all Scripture is profitable. It is not wise to exalt one part of the Bible at the expense of another. But I think it would be good for some who are very familiar with the epistles if they knew a little more about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now why do I say this? I say it because I want Christians to know more about Christ it is well to be acquainted with all the doctrines and principles of Christianity it is better to be acquainted with Christ himself it is well to be familiar with faith and grace and justification and sanctification they are all matters pertaining to the king but it is far better to be familiar with Jesus himself to see the king's own face And to behold his beauty. This is one secret of eminent holiness. He who would be conformed to Christ's image and become a Christ-like person, it's what we all want, must be constantly studying Christ himself. Now the Gospels were written to make us acquainted with Christ. The Holy Spirit has told us the story of his life and death, his sayings and his doings, four times over. Four different inspired hands have drawn a picture of the Savior. His ways, his manners, his feelings, his wisdom, his grace, his patience, his love, his power are graciously unfolded to us by four different witnesses. Ought not the sheep to be familiar with the shepherd? Ought not the patient to be familiar with the physician? Ought not the bride to be familiar with the bridegroom? Ought not the sinner to be familiar with the Savior? Beyond doubt, it ought to be so. The Gospels were written to make people familiar with Christ. And therefore, I wish people to study the Gospels. The the main reason we are spending this time studying Luke together, is that we want each one of us, starting with me and including all of us, to be better acquainted with Christ. We want to know him more, and we want to know him more for the purpose of treasuring him more and becoming more like him. The the main theme of this book of Luke is God's plan of salvation in Jesus. His birth, his teaching, his authority, his ministry, and above all, his death and his resurrection. Jesus is the Savior who came into this world to graciously pursue the lost. And one of the things we see in this book is that the identity of Jesus is affirmed from heaven. It is affirmed by angels. It is affirmed from the Holy Spirit and affirmed from the Father himself who, at Jesus' baptism, in chapter 3, declares with that voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We will also see that the person and work of Christ are revealed through many genres. In this book, the ESV study Bible points out that no other gospel contains this many genres. In Luke, we find annunciation stories, birth narratives, psalms of praise, Christmas carols, prophecies, genealogies, many stories, miracles, parables, beatitudes, sermons, proverbs, and most importantly, a historic account of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Luke, I'm just looking to give you some of a feel to acquaint you with the book. Uh, Luke includes 28 parables, which is more than any other gospel. 15 of those appear only in Luke, including the Good Samaritan in chapter 10, uh, the Prodigal Son in chapter 15, uh, the Pharisee and the Tax Collector in chapter 18, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Those are all distinct to Luke. And I want to encourage each of us to be reading and studying Luke on your own or with friends. We, we have Luke, is it right Joseph, do we have Luke scripture journals for them? Is that today as they leave? Yeah, so there's Luke scripture journals, I want to encourage you to pick up one of those. Um, and you can get to work on reading, studying Luke, on making notes. You can make notes as we preach through uh, this, this book as well. But we are going to take our time studying this book of Luke. In two weeks, we'll be looking at the introduction in the opening four verses there. And there we'll learn more about the man Luke and his reasons for writing. What I want to do in the remaining time we have here is provide an overview of the themes of Of this book. And this also, each one of these points captures our desires and prayers for what we believe God desires to accomplish in us through this book. There are, in fact, a number of these themes that appear in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. And so I want you to turn there with me. Luke 19, there Jesus is passing through Jericho and he sees a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had climbed up into a tree to see Jesus. And when Jesus spoke to this man by name, verse six says that he hurried down and received him joyfully. And then if you're familiar with the story, you know what Zacchaeus does. He gives away half of what he has, verse eight. He restores fourfold those he has defrauded. And Jesus says, chapter 19, verse nine, salvation has come to this house. And then verse 10, and Rob read this, uh, is really a summary statement of the entire book. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The first three themes here that I want to highlight appear in that passage and they appear throughout the book. One, the grace of God for outsiders. The grace of God for outsiders. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector who has defrauded others. Tax collectors were looked down upon. They were considered evil traitors. But here in this passage, the grace of God comes to him. It is in fact the greatest sinners in Jesus' day who were the ones who received the greatest welcome from him. And the reason for that is what Jesus says in Luke 5, 31 and 32, where he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came for those who know you don't have it all together. He came for those who know we need a Savior. Friend, have you made a mess of your life? Have you failed? Have you mistreated others? Have you fallen again and again? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, Jesus came for you and for me. He rescues the lost in his great love. He brings salvation to sinners, however great your sins may be. The grace of God for outsiders. And throughout Luke, Jesus is intentionally, we see this again and again, pursuing those who are despised, those who are on the margins of society, the powerless, the immoral, the suffering... Luke introduces us to shepherds, tax collectors, prostitutes, Samaritans, the prodigal, the poor, women, widows, the sick. Jesus came to give grace to outcasts. I I mentioned women, and I just want to give you a, a heads up on that. Women were marginalized and unjustly treated in society, and Luke calls attention to them in a particular way. We meet Elizabeth. We meet Mary, the mother of Jesus, a woman who anoints Jesus' feet with perfume, a group of women who have been healed and delivered, the Mary and Martha account that we heard read, a poor widow who gives more generously than all the others, and then also women are there playing a crucial role in the narrative of the death and resurrection of Christ and in spreading the good news about Jesus. Did you know in the ancient world, people mocked Christianity for being too pro-women? Uh, Christianity has always been concerned about the dignity and protection and value of women. And the same is true of children, which Luke also focuses on. There is grace for all who rely on Christ for salvation is one theme we will see. Second, good news of great joy. This whole theme of joy and rejoicing, we see it in the Zacchaeus narrative in verse 6, where Zacchaeus received Jesus' joyfully the effect of encountering jesus was the presence of joy in his heart and all of luke is filled with the language of joy and rejoicing the first two chapters in particular are full of joyful songs of praise and we'll be studying those chapters leading up to christmas chapter 1 verse 14 an angel appears to Zechariah and he says you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice." So joy and gladness are possible for you today. Joy and gladness are promised to you in the gospel. All who are experiencing fear today, there is joy available to you. All who are aware of their many sins, there's joy available to you. All who are lonely, all who are heartbroken, there is a joy available for you even in the midst of tears. In chapter 1, verse 44, a baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. Mary in the Magnificat, chapter 1, verse 47, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Chapter 2, verse 10, the angels appear to the shepherds bringing good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. But the good news was not just for them, but for all people. And the joy that has invaded this fallen world is not just for them, but for all people, including us today. This theme of joy and rejoicing, look for it. It runs all through the book. Chapter 15 is where you have the prodigal son and numerous parables of the lost and found. Each one of them ends with this theme of rejoicing. And it is my hope and my prayer that our study of Luke leads to a deeper and more lasting joy in the Savior. That we would be a people who sing for joy. That we would be a people who face suffering with joy. That we would be a community that is marked by the presence of deep and abiding joy in the Savior. Good news of great joy. Three, stewardship of money and possessions is the third major theme. Stewardship of money and possessions. We see in chapter 19, the Zacchaeus text, that following Jesus brings a radically different perspective to money and possessions and that this transformed perspective makes all the difference in our heart and in our giving. The sincerity, and some of you need to hear this in a particular way today. The sincerity of our followership of Jesus is revealed in how we handle our finances. We were recently talking as elders in an elders meeting about the need to equip the church to think biblically about money and giving as a fundamental aspect of Christian discipleship. And this is a very particular burden that we carry for the church. That members would be protected from the love of money and that we would give generously and sacrificially. And the reason we carry that burden is not because the church wants your money. It's because we want every Christian to be protected from the dangers of greed and because we want every Christian to experience the blessing of faithful stewardship. Well, there is perhaps no better book in all of Scripture to address that theme than Luke. He repeatedly emphasizes how we handle money and possessions. He talks especially about the danger of riches. In chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, John the Baptist says that following Christ begins with how you handle money. Chapter 12 has the parable of The rich fool who says in his folly, I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Don't live for stuff. Our hearts are so easily attached to possessions and renovations and wealth. It's not what life is about We need to have our hearts pride from the things of this world and set upon our God and Savior. Jesus says in chapter 16, You cannot serve God and money. In fact, all of chapter 16 essentially is about money. Friends, are you aware of the dangers of riches? Are you being faithful? through the test of prosperity that so many of us face as the issue in our culture. How is your handling of money different because you're following the Lord Jesus Christ? God is eager to use this book to help us, to challenge each one of us to steward money for His glory. Stewardship of money and possessions. Now, I've got three additional themes. I'm going to mention these more quickly. Turn with me to the last chapter, chapter 24. Luke 24, beginning in verse 45. These are the words of Jesus following his death and resurrection. Bill read these. One of the things to keep in mind about Luke is that Luke is part of a two-volume work with the second volume being the book of Acts. And these three themes that I want to mention to you here are shared with Acts. You see them prominently there as well. Beginning in verse 45, then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. All right, so I've got three more for you. This is number four in themes, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. The power from on high that the disciples of Jesus were to wait for is the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is emphasized in Luke because we today need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the Spirit of God. Desperate for the Spirit of God to come upon us, to indwell us more fully. And so we'll see throughout the book of Luke, the Spirit is present in the opening chapters in connection with John the Baptist. Chapter 115, the Virgin Mary, 135. Simeon in the temple, chapter 2, verse 25. In Luke three sixteen, 16, Jesus' entire work of salvation and judgment is described in terms of baptizing people in the Holy Spirit and fire. At his baptism is when the Holy Spirit descends upon him as a dove, and then Jesus is ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter four, verse one, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needed to be full of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, how much more do we need to be full of the Holy Spirit as we go about the tasks that God has called us to? Wouldn't it be glorious if God used this study of this book to grant us a fresh outpouring of the Spirit that we too might minister and serve in the strength of his spirit and be filled with power from on high. May God do it. And may I continue quickly through these final points. Five, fifth theme, the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer. We know from the book of Acts that the staying and waiting in Jerusalem that's mentioned at the end of Luke here was done in prayer. And throughout Luke and throughout Acts, prayer is a major theme. In fact, If you have uh, an ESV study Bible, at least this this page in mind, page 1,978 has a chart that shows the prayers of Jesus in Luke. uh, From his baptism in chapter 3 all the way through to chapter 22 when Jesus prays about the cup of wrath. He is a praying savior and he prays throughout this book. And the chart also shows all the teaching of Jesus on prayer in Luke. Chapter 11 The Lord's Prayer, which we sang earlier, a parable as well in that chapter, encouraging the disciples to persist in prayer. In chapter 22, the disciples are to watch and pray that they not fall into temptation. And so may God increasingly make us a praying church. I always feel like this is too much of a weakness in my own life. May he make us a people devoted to prayer. For me, the heroes in this church family are those who attend the prayer meetings. It's those who are devoted to prayer. May we learn from their example. and May we learn from this gospel the importance of prayer. And then sixth and last is God's heart for the nations. It's there in chapter 24, verse 47. There is a message, a glorious message, Gospel message of salvation, a message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And verse 47 talks about this message being proclaimed in his name to all nations. Not just to one nation, not just to one people, but to all nations. The reason for that is because Jesus is a savior for everyone. Not only for Jews who believe in him, but for Gentiles also. There is, as the angels declare in chapter 2, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. There's this beautiful scene where Simeon takes Jesus in his arms when Jesus is eight days old. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And so again and again, grace extends to Samaritans. Grace extends to other Gentiles. Luke is setting the stage for global evangelism. He's setting the stage for the multi-ethnic worldwide reach of the salvation that Christ brings. That becomes even more prominent in the sequel in the book of Acts And so we are praying, asking God to give us his heart for the nations. That we might take this message of salvation to those in our area and to the ends of the earth. I'd like to invite the band to return as I close. I've given a number of themes in this great book. Ultimately, there is one great theme. And we will see him and his glory written on every page. That one great theme is the glory of our Savior, who seeks and saves the lost in His great love through His death and resurrection. He died in place of sinners that we might be forgiven and accepted by God forever. And this Savior is the captivating focus of This portrait. Luke ends, this is interesting. Luke ends here in chapter 24 with the ascension of Jesus, there in verses 50 through 53, his return to to the Father. We will preach that text, Lord willing, sometime in in 2025. So stick around, Uh, we'll get there eventually. But in that passage, at the end of this gospel, Jesus speaks a benediction over the disciples, he blesses them. And then he ascends to heaven. And that ascension is the hinge between these two volumes, between Luke and Acts. And it shows, what does the ascension show? Why is it important? Here it is. It shows that this same Christ is alive and reigning from heaven's throne. He's alive today. He's continuing his work today. And so then what are the disciples left doing at the end of Luke? It is exactly the effect that this book should have in our lives today. Look at verse 52 and 53. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. What are they doing? Worshiping Christ the experience of great joy, the people of God gathering together, blessing the name of their savior, blessing the name of the Lord. Friends, why do we have great joy today? Why do we worship Christ? Why do we bless his name? Because a savior has come. A savior has come for us. God has not left you today without a savior. He is the glorious Christ. He has defeated death and condemnation. He has won the victory and he reigns over all even today. What a savior. Church, church, worship this savior. Live for this savior. Praise the name of this great God and savior and stand with me even now to exalt in our God and savior, who has filled our hearts with joy, who has filled our hearts with songs of praise because he has redeemed us and rescued us and reigns today from heaven's throne. Let's sing to the Lord.